Uh, last week we began the new year, and, and this, this one goal that we're going to talk about, it's our launching point for 2014, making church a priority. And if we're going to make church a priority, then we need to answer some questions about church. And we begin, we, last week we began with that, that big question, well, what is church? If I'm going to prioritize this, if I'm going to make this an important event in my family's life, then what on earth am I prioritizing? Really, what is the church? And so last week, we walked through six things. There's six pictures that the New Testament paints. I'm going, to, I'm going to cover them very quickly. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you, again, go to the website. They're under the media section of fbcelgin.org. You can download that sermon. You can see all those notes. But really, the church is six things, six pictures that the New Testament paints. First, it says that it's a building, and not any kind of building, but rather it's a spiritual building. It's built upon the the word of God upon the apostles and, and the prophets. It's built upon Jesus, who is the word. Uh, then, then it says that Jesus is the architect of this spiritual building, right? It, he says to Peter, up, upon, upon this rock, I, I will build my church. I will. Uh, Jesus is the builder. Uh, and, and then that just leaves us. If he's the, the living stone, we're, we're like living stones. We're stones that he uses. We're materials that he uses in this great building project. And he's been building this spiritual building for thousands of years. It's pretty cool when you think about that. And so we're just one little stone in this great spiritual building. And the building's purpose is to exalt and to give praise and glory and honor to God. And we get to be a part of that building. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. The second thing, uh, picture that paints is, it says that the church is a body, that it's made up of, of many parts. It means that we need one another. It also means that God has made us uniquely, uh, and individually for a purpose. And, and that purpose is to come and to function together. And we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Third, it said, uh, that the, the church is a family. The church is a family, and, and we, we talked about the, the great news in Ephesians is that we're no longer foreigners or aliens, but now we're citizens of the kingdom, and, and, and literally, uh, we're God's children now. We have full access. We have been adopted by God, and when we were adopted, we took on His name, and we have full rights as His children. That's pretty, that's pretty huge. We're a family. That's why church is important, okay? Fourth, we said that the church is an army. Church is an army. Friends, we don't come here just to pat one another on the back and to smile and say, good job, you're doing great. We actually come here to train and to prepare because we know that we are in a battle and that battle is real. And we looked at Ephesians 6 and our need to be dressed for battle and that the enemy is coming and the enemy is very real. And so we talked about, that's one of the things that goes on here. We equip you for battle. Okay, number five, we said that the church is a flock. We can't ever forget this, friends. We're sheep. Uh, don't don't come expecting perfection. If you come expecting perfection, you're going to the wrong place. Uh, the, the, the church is a, a group of sheep. Sheep are wayward and they are stupid. And they're in need mostly of a shepherd. And, and we have a good shepherd and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that if we're his, that we will hear his voice and we will listen to his voice. And so the great news is that if you are God's, God will always call you back. You'll have the ability to hear his voice no matter how far off you wander or stray. God is going to call you back. And that's part of what goes on in church life. And then finally, we said that the church is a bride. Church is the bride of Christ, Revelation 19. And Jesus is coming back for his bride. What does the bride do while she waits? She gets ready and she's excited. She looks forward to his return, and that's one of the functions of the church. And so we began there by talking about what, what the church is. And, and if we're going to ask you to make church a priority, you have to know what the church is. The second thing I, I think if we're going to make church a priority, and, and we actually took this from one of the questions that you guys submitted, is, is that we need to understand, um, we need to understand uh, what makes the church a church. If you're going to make if you're going to make church a priority, you need to understand what really what really constitute a, a church. What makes a church a church? What are the marks 
of a true church because there's a lot of, of places that either label themselves a church or a lot of places that have a lot of the functions of a church, but they're not a church in of, of itself. And so I want to talk to you this morning. I've got five marks of the true church, and, and we're going to talk about that very quickly, if you will. Before we do, I'm going to ask you to turn to the, the book of Acts chapter 2. Uh, the book of Acts chapter 2. And we are going to read uh, verse 42 through verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 is the, the passage that describes the first church. This is the first church. This is how church began. And, and, and from this church, from this one gathering, as they did these things, God added to their number daily. And then they began to live out uh, what, what, what Jesus said they would, okay? They began to go out, and, and as the Holy Spirit came upon them, uh, they received power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this church, the church, began to physically spread. And it began to, to, to spread not just to Samaria, but... It, it made it to Europe and then to Asia, and, and the church began to spread. And as it did, uh, they began to come up with some organizational structure for this big thing called the church. And so had the, they, they had men appointed that were overseers, and some that, that nowadays they, they, they started to call them bishops. And, and these men uh, helped defend the early church from great heresy, from false teaching. But, but you see, as the church grew larger and larger globally, the organizational structure also grew larger and larger. And as such, that organizational structure, they began to add rules and regulations. You can see them maybe even having some committees and, and, and some oversight. And so, so, so in all that, they began to, within that, that organizational structure, they even became more structured. And, and, and so uh, they came up with policies and, and procedures and rules. And they, they anointed someone the head of this structure. And that person wasn't Jesus, by the way. Uh, they, they called him the Pope. And, and he'll be the head of these things. And, 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 and so this is kind of the environment that the early reformers came into. There were a group of men that woke up and they saw what the church had become and, and, and this church that was beginning and now it has its own head and its own head can, can basically spit forth dogma or, or things that the church has to accept. And, and someone would say, well, this is now what the church is going to do and this is now what the church is going to believe. And, and, and there was this ability through this organizational structure that you could earn um, you know, certain, certain statuses and, and you could be forgiven and, and, and you could pay for penance and all this stuff began to happen. And, 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 and what happened is these great men of God, these early reformers, came into that and they began to ask ask one question. They had the audacity to ask one question. And that question is the question we're going to look at this morning. They had the audacity to ask, what really makes a church a church? They began to look at what the church had become and they began to ask a simple question. Is this truly what Jesus laid down his life for? This organizational structure as we know it. 
with its dogma and, and, and its practices, is this really the, the, the thing that Jesus came and laid down his life for? Is, that what the, is this the true church or is this just the visible church? And it was such a big deal to them that I want to tell you that these men gave their lives to this cause. Answering this question, what makes a church a church? And here's what they came up with. Martin Luther, as he began to search the scriptures and study for himself, this is what he noticed. He said, listen, the church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. Now, again, you've got to understand the organizational structure a little bit. At this point, the church had grown and, and, and there was a great division between the people and the priests. See, they were so special that they were the only ones that actually had access to the Word of God, and they were the only ones that understood the Word of God, because when you went to church, it was never in your language. Can you imagine walking into the doors of church and having somebody get up and talk for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, and you don't understand a word of what they say? Because it's spoken in a completely different language. Can you imagine somebody telling you what the Bible says, but never actually having access to the Bible yourself? And this is the environment that they're in. So they said, you know what, that, that, that's not what makes the church. What makes the church is biblical preaching. Okay? And, and, and then they said, and then, and then sacraments. The sacraments being done correctly. Now, what was going wrong with the sacraments? Well, they were withholding communion from certain people. Okay? They were, also, they, they were also offering and selling penance, selling forgiveness. Okay? Uh, so, so same thing with baptism. They, they, they would withhold baptism. Uh, you had to do certain things and jump through certain hoops before you could be baptized. And so, so it, it became an issue. So that's, that's what Luther said. He, he comes on and one of the early great reformers. And, and, and then another one, John Calvin, uh, and I love this. He, he says, listen, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, and the sacraments administered according to Christ's instruction, there it is not to be doubted that a church of God exists. Okay? So, so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of launch from there, from what these men discovered, and, and we're just, we're just going to just fill that in a little bit. So we've got five marks. We're going to call them five marks of a true church. And here's the first. The first mark of a true church, friends, is biblical preaching. It's biblical preaching. Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and, and to prayer. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they devoted themselves, they gave themselves to what the apostles, to what the pastors of the early emerging uh, and growing church, they devoted themselves, they gave themselves to what these men of God were, were teaching, what they were preaching. And they were preaching, of course, the Word of God. Jesus laid down His life for the church, the church's aim is to exalt Him. That's what we do. And we do that according to the Word of God through, by, by preaching God's Word. We take the words of Jesus and we exalt them and we preach His words. We don't preach our own and we don't preach our own opinions, but rather we say this is what Jesus taught and this is what God's Word says. And, and that's the aim of any healthy church. Preaching is a part and always has been a part of God's plan. And it's one of the main purposes of his church. And by it and through it, it brings about great production and, and fruit. I want to show you something. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 20 uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And, and hear what the word of the Lord says. Uh, Paul's writing, and he says, where, where is the wise man? 
Where is, is the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Get this. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and stronger than man's strength. Paul says, listen, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. He says, we preach Christ and and Christ crucified. If you're looking for a mark of the true church, you must begin with genuine preaching. The the, the church isn't meant to to come so you can assemble and somebody can read you a homily or read you a devotional. You don't come to church so that somebody can espouse their opinion or or that somebody can can, uh, uh, tell you a story. Church exists to exalt Christ. And to preach His Word, that's, that's why you come to church, so that God's Word can be preached. It's been said that true preaching is, is truth set on fire. That it's the demolition of error. That it's the Holy Spirit's amplifier. That it's the Savior's projector. It's been said that it's worship's main course or entree. That it's the adornment of the Bible. That it's revival's forerunner. That it's the church's heartbeat. That it's sin's greatest adversary. That it's frustration's funeral. That it's doubt's demise. That it's fear's failure. It's depression's death. And it's faith's food. That's what preaching is. True preaching. God used preaching to save Nineveh. God used preaching to ignite Pentecost. God used preaching to turn the Judean wilderness into a Baptist revival. And God used preaching to found and to fan and to flame His church. It's what God did. It's the first sign of His church is a church that truly preaches the Bible. It's biblical preaching. It's important that we say that. There are a lot of churches today that you can go to and and, and you can show up and, and, and what's preached isn't necessarily the Bible. A lot of stories are preached. A lot of stories are told. And, and we say, well, they're good biblical stories, you know. Well, they're not really biblical stories. We're just trying to explain something that the Bible has already explained. You have to be careful with those stories because sometimes they lead to heresy. <laughs> and and, and so, so what is biblical preaching? Well, it's not preaching extra books. It's not preaching something that's not in the biblical text. It's not exalting those things. Biblical preaching is just that. It's preaching of the Bible, of God's holy, infallible word. And, and I want you to hear me. It's not just from the pulpit. Maybe you didn't catch this in, in Acts 2. We're going to go back and look at it in a second. But first, let, let's look at Acts 6. I, I want you to see how the church is meant to work, okay? Acts chapter 6. Now, we aim for this here. We, 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 we at times miss the mark. Hear me. But Acts chapter 6, verse uh, 3 and 4. We're in this process right now as a church. We're, we're, we're trying to choose new deacons and, and some more deacons to serve. And I want you to see uh, why that's the case. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, as the church is growing uh, daily, as God is adding to their number, problems are arising. And, and so this is what 
the disciples say, it says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. They're, they're talking about um, taking care of widows and, and orphans. We're going to turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So, so here, here's, follow me. The apostles are saying, listen, we are going to focus on prayer and on preaching. That's what we're going to do. But I want you to notice, as, as, as the apostles focus on prayer and preaching, notice what, what the rest of the disciples do. Acts 2.42, they devote themselves then to the apostles' teaching. So, so here's, here's the picture. The apostles are devoted to preaching, and everyone else is devoted to receiving that preaching. They're devoted. They're, they're, they're devoted, that's a strong word, they're giving themselves towards that preaching. They're giving themselves entirely towards that preaching. Okay, that's the first sign of, of a true church. Biblical preaching, and that's a two-way street. Number two, second mark of, of a true church is biblical worship. And again, I want to look at these quotes one more time from, from Luther uh, the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. And then, and then from Calvin, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's instruction, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. They both mention the sacraments, you notice. What's the deal? Again, what is the church doing? The church is not rightly administering the sacraments. The church that these reformers see, okay? They're, they're, they're not rightly administering the sacraments as the Bible has said. Well, what are the sacraments? Well, folks, this is how we worship God, right? And of course, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. We're talking about baptism, okay? And, and this is the second mark of a church. Now, hear me. We're huge on small groups here. Uh, we, we honestly, we think that life happens best in small groups and we need you. We encourage you. You need to be involved in a small group. That can be a traditional Sunday school class. It can be a life group uh, meeting in homes. They kick back up next week. You need to be a part of that. Why discipleship happens best in small groups where you can be known and you be held accountable and you can be encouraged. That's, that's where growth happens best. But hear me now. You can be a part of one of those groups and you can show up and you can have Bible study. And you know what? The Word of God can be proclaimed and you can receive the Word of God. But that doesn't make that group a church. It doesn't. And you can meet with some friends over coffee and you can pray and you can share Scripture and that's awesome and that's a wonderful thing. But that doesn't make your little prayer coffee group, it doesn't make it a church. It's a gathering of believers, but it's not a church. Now, if that group decided on its own, hey, we're going to start baptizing people, and, and we're going to start administering the Lord's Supper, then, then that, that, church, that group would be saying, we're going to become our own church. And, and that's a different issue. But this is the second mark of the church. When you come to the church, we come as a collective body, and we baptize people in the name of Jesus so that they can become a part of this family. And we administer the Lord's Supper, and we do those things because they're both crucial. Baptism doesn't save you as some churches would, would, would spout, but, but rather it's, it's a very important symbol. Jesus did it. He set our example. That's why I'm wearing a name tag today. As an example, I said to my wife, I said, everybody knows my name. I don't have to wear a name tag. She said, you're the pastor. You have to wear a name tag. I said, yes, dear, I'll wear a name tag. And evidently I'll place it upon the wrong portion of my chest. All right. Why are we baptized? Because Jesus said so. He said, repent and be baptized. 
were baptized because Jesus was. He, he went into the wilderness to his cousin John who's saying, Listen, I don't deserve to hold your sandals, man. I don't deserve to touch your feet. Why am I baptizing you? You should be baptizing me. Jesus says, No, it's got to be done this way in accordance with Scripture. So there he's baptized. Not because he needed it. He didn't have any sin to wash away. He did it as an example for us. Lastly, we're baptized because it paints a picture. Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And when we're baptized, we stand before people and we proclaim that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. That through His death on the cross, and through His resurrection over death, that we too can have eternal life by placing our belief and our trust in Him. And so when we're baptized, we say we've united our life with Christ. We've died to our old way of life. We've surrendered that unto God. And now we're going to walk in newness of life. We're going to be Christ followers. That's who we are. It's a big deal. Second thing, that second sacrament, is, and by the way, there are only two. There are no other sacraments of the church, even though some churches have tried to add some. True churches have two sacraments. Here's the second. It's the Lord's Supper. What do we do at the Lord's Supper? We remember the broken body and the sacrifice of Jesus. Friends, it was not a cheap grace that you received through Jesus. When the Bible says it is by grace that you've been saved, you need to understand it is by costly grace that you've been saved. It is by the loving grace of God that stepped into humanity while you were still a sinner. Christ loved you and gave Himself as an atoning sacrifice for you. This is love, not that you love God, but that God loved you. Right? And Christ, in the midst of our sin, stepped into humanity to redeem us, and it was costly, and it cost Him His very life. And if you don't believe me, turn to the Garden of Gethsemane and hear the agony in our Savior's voice. Jesus, fully God and fully man, hear the pain that He is enduring as He is praying, Father, if You can take this cup from me, then please take it. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. And, and, and it's so heavy, friends, that, that his, his circulatory system is beginning to, to do crazy things and He's now sweating drops of blood. He's overwhelmed. See Him hanging on the cross saying, my God, no longer Father. This moment he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus who is fully God, who, who was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made that have been made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And he's hanging on the cross and he's not saying Abba. He's saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was costly grace, friends. It was costly grace and so... When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember that that He endured that on our behalf. His body was broken and beaten on our behalf. But it didn't stay broken and beaten, did it? For He rose again. The second thing we do is we, we drink that wine, that Baptist wine. What is that? It's the blood of the new covenant. Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice who died once and for all. To cover all the sins you would ever commit. Including the ones you did after you met him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We proclaim that. Those are the biblical sacraments. That, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. And so these great, these great reformers would look at the church and they would study scriptures. And they would say, this is what these guys did right. 
They had biblical preaching and they had biblical worship where they exalted Jesus and they proclaimed His death until His return. And that's what it's about. And guys, those two things are huge. Now, those two things, I want to let you know, is, is I poured over Scripture those this week. I think those two things lead to three other things. Those are the two primary, okay? Our reformers had it completely right. But I think, I think when, when those two things are present, we see three other things. I'm going to give you three last marks of a true church and we'll be done. Okay, here's number three. All this leads to local involvement. All this leads to local involvement. The, the, the true church encourages local involvement. It's preaching towards conversion, right? It's baptism towards inclusion and membership, right? And, and then they devote themselves to, to, that, to continued biblical preaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and, and, and to prayer, it says. They, they begin to celebrate Jesus and proclaim His death until He returns together. And hear me now, there are a lot of great organizations in our world today, and many of those organizations now have pastors. Pastors on staff. I don't know if you listen to Christian radio. I, I, I do. I, I like Christian music. I, I like to listen to most of it. Uh, there are a few that I have to turn the station and listen to sports radio. Uh, but, but for the most part... Um, there are a lot of things that, that I love. And, and, and one, of the, one of the new movements upon Christian radio stations is now to hire pastors on staff. Now, now they say, well, we have pastors on staff. Now, hear me. If you're new to the faith, you can, you can listen to Christian radio and you can be worshiping as you drive in your car and there's a lot of, of praise and worship music on there and you can be worshiping and then you could hear them say, well, come and call and talk to our pastor. And then you hear them say, and now send in money and you can pledge every month. And you're thinking, wow, this sounds a lot like the church. Well, guess what? It may sound a lot like a church, but that's not the church. See, the church isn't on radio and the church necessarily isn't TV. The church always is about local involvement. The church isn't about sitting on the couch apart from everybody and listening to biblical preaching. And, you know, by the way, when you're on the couch, what are you doing? Are you are you going to the Lifeway and buying your own communion supplies and just popping them while they're doing it on TV? I mean, how's that how's that working for you? See, that's not what the church is. The church always has to do with local involvement. Local involvement. Meeting together. Doing life together. And I want to say this to you. In the coming weeks, I'm so excited about 2014. In the coming weeks, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to talk to you about how you can be involved locally in the church. We're, we're going to talk to you about how, how God has gifted you and, and, and the abilities He's given you. We're going to talk about how you can get plugged in and, and how and, and basically you know how we operate and how you can be a part of how we operate. And it's going to be awesome. I just want to encourage you. Until then, would you be praying about that? The church is meant for local involvement. If you're not involved, then you're not truly experiencing what the church is meant to be. Okay. Number four, the true church. Is all about unity. The true church is unified in Christ in our commitment to His Word. Remember, we're committed to biblical preaching. That's a two-way street. We're committed to biblical worship, right? Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and to fellowship and to praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, Acts chapter 2. 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, uh, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And, and it says, and they were all together and they had these things in common. The local church, the true church, is about unity. It's about unity. Now listen, don't mistake me. Unity is not uniformity. 
The church is not about trying to make you or mold you into my image or to make you or to mold you into Alan's image. That's not how it works. Remember, the, the, the church is a body of believers. We have one head. His name is Jesus, right? He is the head. We are all just parts of the body. And God has assigned each of us a special place and a special task. And he has gifted us for that task. That's how, that's how it works. See, uniformity is not scriptural. We're meant to be a body, all different parts, all working together. So what is unity? Here's unity. Unity is when we, the different body parts and members of God, who have been gifted differently, when we all come together for the one purpose of exalting Jesus. That's unity. That's what the church is meant to do. That's the mark of a true church. Each member understanding who God has made them to be and playing his role or her role to help the church bring glory to God. That's unity. Okay? Now that raises some questions, by the way. If that's what unity is, it's playing your role. There are some questions you have to ask yourself. You might want to write these down. Do you know your role? Have you discovered your role in the body of Christ? Do you know who God has created you to be and the purpose for which He has created you? Do you know the gifts that He's given you? Okay? Because if you don't know them, you can't play that role, can you? You just kind of wander around going, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do? So you've got to start there. Do I, do I know my role? Secondly, once you know your role, by the way, that's not enough. I know a lot of Christians that know the role, but they're not playing the role. Please hear me. I say this to you in love. If you are not playing your role, then you're just playing around. And if you're playing around, I want you to know that the church is suffering because of you. This isn't a vacation spot. This isn't a place for you to come and rest. You go to Jesus and rest, and then He puts you to work. Right? Hear me. I I say this to you in love. You come to Him. You find rest in Christ. And in Christ, when you find rest, He restores your soul. He gives you the joy of His salvation. And He sends you out in His power to go and make disciples. That's how it works. That's not to say that you can't have a rest. He says, please have a Sabbath. Please take a break. But if you're not serving God's church, then you're just playing around. Then you're just playing around. I'm being honest with you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. There's never an age limit that you get to retire from the church. That doesn't happen. God has made you and blessed you and given you certain gifts and abilities for a reason. And that reason is to be used in His church. That's what unity is all about. Number five. Almost done, I promise. Purity. Last sign of the true church is purity, and, 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 and this is so important that we get this. Now, now hear me. We have this, this misconception, okay? Let's walk through it together. So there are three big theological words that we believe in, and, and, and maybe you don't call them these words, but basically there's salvation. That's what we believe in Jesus, and we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2 eight, right? We believe that. Yeah, I'm saved by grace, right? Well, once you're saved, salvation, then comes the process of sanctification. That's starting to look like Jesus. Now, this is where we get a little off track. Because we're saved by grace, but we start to think that we, we look like Jesus by our own and through our own efforts, right? Well, I'm going to look like Jesus if I read my Bible every day and if I pray. And when I pray, I need to pray on my knees because, after all, it doesn't really count if you're sitting on your rump. And, and we kind of have all these little rules and regulations and guidelines. And so, so, so we know that we're saved by grace, but becoming like Jesus, we kind of think we've got to work at. And then you get the last one, right? You get glorification. 
It's when we get to go be with Jesus, and we know that that's by grace. I mean, absolutely. We see God, and why should I let you in, right? And we're like, eh, it ain't because anything I did. It's because of Jesus. So we kind of get that part, but we miss this whole, this whole middle section, and, and, and that, that applies to this, this, uh, truth about purity, and I want to see, I want you to see how it does. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, turn there with me if you don't mind. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, and we read a little bit of this last week, um, 5.25, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Now, I'm going to reread that because I don't want you to, to, to misunderstand. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, get this, without stain or wrinkle or, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay? That, that's, that's the church is to be without stain or wrinkle. It's to be holy and to be blameless. But I want you to notice how the church is supposed to be that way. It says because of Jesus. Right? The church doesn't form a, a blameless, stainless, uh, iron committee that, that tries to get all the wrinkles out of the church. That's not how it works. The, the, the church doesn't come up with bylaws or policies or procedures that are somehow going to make every member be holy. You're going to be holy, I say, or else you won't be a part of this. You get out of here, you unholy, dirty dog. That's it. I'm done with you. It, you, you. That's not how we become holy. The Bible says, listen, this is how the church, the bride of Christ, becomes holy. Jesus washes her. That's it. That's it. If that's how you're saved, friends, that's also how you're sanctified. Jesus didn't just come to save you. He came to offer you eternal life and life that's abundant. And the abundant life is walking in the transformational grace of Jesus daily, where daily He washes you. You remember the story of Mephibosheth? You remember that story? David had a great love for Saul's son, Jonathan, even though Saul was trying to kill him. I kind of think I wouldn't like the son of the guy that's trying to kill me. I'm just saying. He had a great love for Jonathan. You remember Jonathan dies. David eventually becomes king. And David says, listen, I need you to see if there's anybody left. Anybody left from, from Jonathan's line. I just, I just need you to find it. And they find Mephibosheth. And they say, well, there's this one guy, but man, he's lame and crippled. And, you know, and David says, no, he's going to come. And he's going to live with me. He's going to live. And for the rest of his life, he's going to eat at my table. And so every time it talks about Mephibosheth, it says, uh, and he always ate at the king's table, and it always mentions this, and he was lame, or, and he was crippled. See, Mephibosheth never stopped being crippled, ever. But he got to eat at the king's table, he got to eat at David's table because of Jonathan. We, through Christ, have access to the king's table. Friends, that's grace. It doesn't mean that we're not still crippled. It doesn't mean that we can get up and we can make ourselves be holy. And, and we've convinced ourselves that we can. We've convinced ourselves, well, if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps enough, I, I can be good enough. I, if you weren't good enough to save yourself, friend, you're not going to be good enough to make yourself look like Jesus. You following me? You're still sitting at the king's table. That's completely and totally because of Jesus. And so, so I want you to understand that, that a sign of the church is purity, and you'll see how all that ties in here in a second. So what do we do if, if, if this is what a church looks like, I guess? Uh, if, if these are the, the marks of a true church, this is what makes a church a church, what, what do we do? And, and uh, 
I'll talk to you about that here. Just, just three things, okay? Three things in response. Number one, I think when you understand what makes a church a church, I, I, think, I think your response and the only right response is to devote yourself. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to preaching. Um, our, our job is to, vote, to devote ourselves to, to prayer and, and to the, the study of Scripture and, and to come here and to teach you. And your job is, is to devote yourself to the body of Christ and to be a part of that teaching. And, and I say we because Alan is every bit as, you know, where do you think all our discipleship and small group comes from? It's our job to, to take that seriously our study seriously. We don't just pull things out of our hat and go, here, maybe we'll do this, or maybe we'll do that. But your job is to devote yourself to it. And, and as, I, I, as I look around and I span, especially the American church today, there are a ton of people that go to church. There's a ton of people. There are very few that give themselves to church. A lot of people that attend, there's very few that give themselves to the church and are devoted to the church. And I, I just wonder what the church would look like if the people of God were devoted to her. If the people of God really gave their lives to the glory of God and to the church, I wonder if the bride of Christ would rise up in all of her radiance and that people would see the glory of God on display amongst men. I challenge you, devote yourself to the church, okay? Number two, I think, flowing out of that, is, is if you're devoted, then you find a way to get involved. Uh, again, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. We're going to talk about areas that you can get involved and things that you can do, and I'm excited about all that. But hear me, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to get involved. You just have to call or send us an email or come talk to us. Be like, There's something I can do. I know I need to do something. I want to get involved. You just have to say it, man. We'll, we'll help you do it. We'll help you do it. We don't have to form a new committee to do ministry. Right? You don't have to do that. You just have to do it. You just have to get involved. And here's, here's the last one. It's personal. It's individual. So we talk about the purity of the church. Uh, I, I just I want to challenge you to come to the table. Man, the table is set and it is ready. And, 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 and it, it's God that wants to wash you in the water of his word. That, that's what he does. This is a part of his plan that you be a part of the bride of Christ. Um, so I, I just I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come. I, I, I want to remind you that that's what we need. We, we need to come under the grace of God on a regular basis and sit at the table. We need to remember, friends, you can't go out on your own and by yourself. And I can't go out on my own and by myself and make myself holy. I can't. I have to come to the table. And I have to allow God to feed me. And I have to allow God to, to, to rain me and, and, and wash grace over me so that I can be made clean. That's how that it works. But, but I want to tell you, friends, so often though that we've got an invitation to the table that we have access. We, we just, we wander off and try to eat on our own. So how's your diet? How's it working? You were made to come to the table. God's grace wasn't just so that you could be saved. His grace is so that you can live. So that you can be transformed into His image daily. That too is by His grace through the washing of the water of His Word. It's part of the deal. So I want to invite you to the table. I pray that you would come. Would you guys pray with me?